Hey guys, this is Eric. I'm one of the ministers here at the Robertsdale Church of Christ. I just want to say thank you for checking out this message, and I'd like to invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 1030 if you're ever in the Robertsdale area. If you want to find out more information about the Robertsdale Church, head over to our website at robertsdalechurch.com. All right, let's get to the message. I'm praying that God will use this message to bless you and will help you grow closer to Jesus Christ. Well, good morning. Glad you're here today. There's a, there's a statement that, uh, that I've thought about this week and uh, that I think is very true. And I think this week it was more evident than it has been maybe in a while. And that is that life can be tough, right? Life can be tough. There are things that will happen that will just shake us absolutely to the core. And that comes in a number of different ways. It comes in losing a loved one. It comes in losing a job. It comes in a broken marriage. It comes in some of the violence that you see across our world. It comes in the forms of injustices and the difficulties, maybe the emotional stress that you find yourself under, maybe the uh, the physical pain that you're dealing with on a daily basis. There are just times that life reminds us it can be tough. And what we're told to do, what we're encouraged to do, and, and there is something true to it, is that we have to learn to cope. And there's different ways that we learn to cope. Maybe you learn to cope through some type of hobby. There's something that you enjoy doing. And so you just spend some time doing that to try to get your mind off of it, or in, maybe in therapeutic ways. Maybe it's in your career and you just try to focus in a little bit more in coping with whatever it is that's going on. Maybe it's through purchasing or shopping or materialism that, that you could be encouraged to do. Maybe uh, it's through a relationship that you pursue and you just kind of dive into that. There's even those who will look to different types of substances and even substance abuse when it comes to coping. And there's different ways of coping, some good, some bad. But really what we need is not just to learn to cope, but the big idea that we need is actually hope. That's what we really need when life is extremely difficult. Now I want to say for those that are members here, you're aware of what's been going on in our church family and the life that our church family has experienced this week and the, just how our hearts have broken for the Covington family. I want to tell you that God is, God is good. And that's what the family will also tell you. But I want to stand before you and tell you that God is good for this reason, among many others. What I'm going to share with you this morning, I believe God wrote a couple of weeks ago as I sat down and wrote out this message today that I had no idea that I and we would need this message this week. We always need to think about hope. But this lesson was written a couple of weeks before the events of this week. And I've told you many times as you've come up to me, oh, you really stepped on my toes today. And I always respond the same thing. You've lived with it for about half an hour. I've lived with it for a couple of weeks. I've been living with this message for a couple of weeks, not knowing that over this past week, I was really going to need it to live through it. And that's not just me, that's each of us. Hope is something that we desperately need. But we use the word hope in a lot of different ways, don't we? In fact, one of the main ways that we use the word hope is kind of like wishful thinking, like maybe you got a dentist appointment this week, and you're like, I hope I don't have a cavity, and you're like, I don't know what's going to go on, you know, if you don't put too much candy or whatever. Or maybe you're like, I, I hope I'm going to do good on my finals this week, and you know, you don't really have a good game plan on how you're going to study for those. It's just sort of wishful thinking, you know, 
pray and hope that God takes care of the rest. Maybe you're like, I hope I'm going to get the promotion that it's not a surefire guarantee. There's, there's, uh, you're setting your heart on it, but you don't really know if it's going to work out. The danger is when that's our definition and most common use for this word hope, the danger is when we read the Bible and we read about hope, the Bible's definition of hope is very different from how we use the word hope every day. Because when you read in the Bible, the idea of hope is a, it's a reality. It is a confident expectation. It's not a thought. It's not a feeling. It is a guarantee because God keeps his promises. If God said he's going to do it, he's going to do it. It's not a matter of if, it's simply when. And so when we think about hope, what we are saying is that we are saying we place our trust in the God who is going to do what he said he is going to do. And part of our hope is not just in this life. A large part of our hope is in the one to come. So what I want us to do this morning is I want us to think about this concept of hope because among other reasons, not just that we need it, but as a church, we have actually declared publicly that we want to be a place of hope. You may have noticed it on our banners or across our bulletin that it says we want to be a place where faith is practiced, where hope is shared, and where love is experienced. Now, two weeks ago, or excuse me, three weeks ago, we looked at that concept of what it means to be a place where to, to be a group of people placing our trust in Jesus every day, that we are living out the very truths that we gather together on a weekly basis and we confess and sing about, that we actually live on Monday through Saturday what we say we believe on Sunday. That's the idea where faith is practiced. But today I want to look at what does it mean to be a place where hope is shared. And I know the leadership I'm assuming a couple of years ago came up with this statement. I here when this was developed, but I love it. It is such a great tagline, motto as a church family. We want to be a place where hope is shared. What does that even mean? Well, this morning what I want to do is I want to look in the life of the Apostle Paul. I want to look at something that he wrote in the book of Romans. And I want to do that because I think Paul is somebody who can adequately talk about hope. Because the Apostle Paul, before he was an apostle and follower of Jesus, he was actually a persecutor of followers of Jesus. And at some point in his life on that road to Damascus that you can read about in Acts, he has this experience with Christ and his life is dramatically changed. And he came, he turned from persecutor to preacher, but not everybody was good with Paul's conversion because they didn't know if he was his life to actually follow Jesus or to become a mole and to trick people into confessing Jesus and then suffer more persecution. And when you read about the life of Paul, you just read over and over again about struggles, about challenges that he's going to face. <clears throat> it's May, which means my allergies are just a mess. If you are allergic to stuff, you know what I'm talking about. Right after he's converted, his life is instantly threatened. In fact, it tells us that one night they had to let him over the city gates through a basket. And then he's going to write in 2 Corinthians about all the different things he would endure throughout his life. And he would talk about how on multiple occasions he was beaten for being a follower of Jesus. He would talk about how he was hit with rocks and they thought he was dead, but it didn't actually kill him. And they left him for dead. He talks about how on multiple occasions 
He was shipwrecked, which blows my mind. If you were shipwrecked once, why would you ever get on a boat ever again? And if you know that that guy has been shipwrecked at least more than once, why would you ever get on a boat with him? The law of averages says it's gonna happen again. And he describes these different challenges that he's experienced. But over and over and over again, he talks about the concept of hope because Paul understood what it meant in this life to suffer. That word suffering is a word that shows all throughout the Bible, and it just simply means a physical or emotional experience that we undergo because we live in a fallen world. It could be physical pain. It could be emotional distress. It could be the loss and heartache that we experience. All of that is categorized in this all-encompassing word of suffering. And this morning, I want to look at a text in Romans chapter 8. Romans 8 is a text we could spend months and months and months on and never fully grasp everything that's within it. It's a beautiful text. I just want to key in on seven or eight verses this morning that are so dense and practical for us. Let's just start with verse 18. Paul says, for I consider... Now, you got to unpack. you got to remember everything that he's experienced in his life. It's not just consider. It's not just something he's thought about. It's his lived experience says what he is about to say is true for him, that he wants us to consider for us whether or not it's true for us. He says, for I consider I've lived this out, and I'm telling you that it's true, that the sufferings that we experience in this present time are not worthy, are not worth comparing to the glory that is going to be revealed to us. What is Paul saying? He's saying whatever it is that you go through in this life, what Whatever you experience and endure that would be categorized by that word suffering, any emotional distress, physical pain, uh, physical loss, whatever it is that you go through, it is worth it for the sake of Jesus, for this life that is going to come. He says, whatever it is that you endure in this life, it is going to be worth it. And then he's going to unpack what everything else that's going on around it. He says, for the creation is waiting eagerly, longing for the revealing of the sons of God because the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. That's going all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. Do you remember when Adam and Eve ate the fruit and all of a sudden there were consequences that came as a result? One of the consequences was the ground was cursed. We now live in a fallen world where sin is the effects of it at different times. And it's not just us, but it's all creation. The trees, the ground, the atmosphere, the birds, the animals, everything is living in this fallen world. And all of creation was subjected to this futility, to the suffering that's going on in the hope that creation itself, verse 21, will be set free from the bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know, we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth up until now. That's such an interesting statement. All of creation is groaning. And not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we're groaning inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the the redemption of our bodies. Here's something fascinating that I've noticed about me just in recent times. I don't know when it started. I've just recently paid attention to it. There are times that I get up out of a chair and it's all expression comes out of me that's called a groan. I I don't know what happened. I don't know when it started. It's just all of a sudden, and it's not every time, it's just on occasion that I get up and a groan comes out. And I don't know why. I don't know why 
I don't know if I'm just doing it. I don't know if my body's groaning. Like, why are you getting up? You don't need to do this. You need to stay here. Is it getting get up? I mean, I know as I age, I, I, that's going to become part of it. Is this the beginning of that? I have no idea. I've just noticed this groan. Well, that's not the groan that he's talking about. He's not talking about when you get up out of your chair after sitting through worship and you go, Ugh, and, and we're, some of us are going to do it this morning. That's not the groan. He's talking about the groan that we experience, sometimes audibly, sometimes inwardly. We experience things that would be categorized as a suffering. And you experience a loss. You see violence that's taking place around our world. When you see the injustices that are happening, when you lose the job, the marriage breaks down, and it, it just breaks your heart, and it causes this groan where maybe you vocalize it by saying, what's wrong with this world? Why is this happening? That's a groan. And you say, man, are things ever going to get any better? Why are things the way that they are? Why are people the way that they are? That's a groan whether it's audibly with your mouth or whether it's just something happening in your mind and in your heart. And it's not just us groaning. It's all of creation. You go all the way back to Genesis chapter 4, the very first story of sibling rivalry in the Bible. And Cain takes the life of his brother Abel. And God said that the ground cried out when it received the blood of Abel. All of creation is groaning because things aren't right and if you've experienced it, you very likely have groaned inwardly, maybe audibly. And we're waiting, we're waiting for it to be better. Paul says that's our hope and that hope will save us. But it's not hope that we see because who hopes for what he sees? No, we're hoping for what we don't see and we're waiting for it patiently. So I want to kind of summarize our thoughts this morning and just simply say this. Here's what it means to be a place where hope is shared. It means that we're going to live together in this reality that God is still reigning over this world and he's going to renew his creation. That's what we want to summarize. And I want to kind of break it out into those three big ideas of living together, God reigning, and then God renewing. So let's talk about this first idea of living together in suffering. It's this reminder that we don't suffer alone. When you experience hardship, it's not just you. Number one, God experiences and knows what you're going through. He promises to be a faithful present in your life every step of the way. And God is faithfully present with you. And all of creation is groaning along with you when you experience those losses in life. Why is it like this? You could just hear the trees cry out and the birds and all the animals and every part of God's creation saying, yeah, we understand it too. This is not the way that it was supposed to be. It was supposed to be like what we read about in the first couple chapters of the Bible, not this. And God's going to make it right. We'll talk about that in a minute. In the meantime, you're not suffering alone. And it's not just God who's suffering with you, and it's not just all of creation, but as God's family, we're called to suffer together. That's a part of us sharing hope with one another. The Bible would talk about in different places about when one member suffers, all the members suffer together. If somebody's sick, then call the elders of the church, and they'll come, and they'll pray over you and anoint you with oil. And that righteous prayer 
will be very effective in the sight of God. It also talks about how we're called to bear one another's burdens. And that means to take up the slack and to be there as the support system when somebody's going through a difficult time and when they're struggling and there's certain things that either they can't do or just don't need to even focus on because they need to focus on healing and on the, on the difficulty of life that's going on. That's where we as God's people step in and we say, we got this. You don't even have to worry about this. You don't have to worry what you're going to eat for the next little while. We got that. You don't worry about taking care of your house. You just focus on you, on your family, on whatever it is that you need to do to survive. Now, let me tell you, let me just praise this church family. This is a gracious, servant-minded church family whose heart goes out to every individual. And I'm just so proud to be a part of this church family, not in like this boastful, unrighteous, boastful kind of way, but just to say my heart is just so proud of the way that so many, heart, so many hearts here break regularly and then step in to serve. However, that's what it means to be God's people. It's just to let that person know that I'm here with you. I don't fully understand exactly what you're going through. Even if our circumstances are almost the same, I can't fully comprehend how you're suffering because every suffering is unique. But man, my heart's with you. And I'm aching with you. It's what it means to together. Every Sunday we gather together, we close our services. I close the lesson pretty much the same way. It's, it's a tradition that we've created. I don't know when it started many, many years ago that we call the invitation. You know, when we, when we say now we will stand and sing. And, and I'm thinking shepherds up front and in the back. And that's a time where if you are experiencing some type of suffering and you say, I need some help. I need somebody to pray with me, to walk with me, that's that opportunity for you. But let me tell you this, the invitation is not just open on Sunday mornings at the conclusion of a lesson. This is one of the reasons we gather. We gather together multiple times a week so that if something is going on in your life, you're not looking for that let us stand and sing moment. Walking in the door going, I gotta find somebody to pray with me. I gotta call somebody this week and say, meet me for coffee. I need some you to gather with me. And if somebody shares with you their struggle, please please say, can we pray right now? Because that's actually what they're inviting you into when they share your suffering. That's what they need the most. I said, I think healthy church, but that next level of health will come as after the service, what you start to see is little circles of prayer in life. Not just saying, I'll pray for you this week, but let's stop we're doing right now and pray together because we're suffering together. It's what we're called to do. Here's the second idea of what it means to be a place where hope is shared. It's the reminder that God is still reigning over this world. One of my favorite short books in the Bible is the little prophet Habakkuk. It's fun because it's hard to spell and it's good Bible trivia and it's really hard to find. It's only a three chapter little book, minor prophet who tells a major story. It's phenomenal. In chapter one, Habakkuk says, God, your people are so wicked. Why in the world are you letting them get away with it? Chapter two, God steps in and says, you know, you're right. You know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna send Babylon to lead them into exile. And Habakkuk goes, Babylon, they're worse than we are. How are you gonna use them to punish your people? And then in the, the answer comes in Habakkuk chapter three doesn't take you long to read, but it'll take you long to internalize and understand the true message behind it. In chapter three, the word comes back to Habakkuk that says, God is still in his temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. It's just this reminder that when we cry out to God and we say, God, why is this happening? It's this reminder from Habakkuk. 
God is still in his holy temple. And he's still, on, he's still on the throne. He's still reigning over all. Even when we don't understand, because we never will and never can, we can rest assured that God is still reigning. I think of what Paul would go on to say in Romans 8, that he's working for good. He's working to bring about good for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. It's not a promise that everything's going to be good. It's the promise that even in the worst of circumstances, God will bring something good from it. And if you've ever gone through a really dark period of time, it didn't take you long to start to see that promise right through of God working behind the scenes in ways you didn't know. And you just see Blessing after blessing. Yes, your heart is broken. Yes, you're left with loss, but you're you are assured in your faith in God because you know that God is still working in ways you could have never imagined. Now, in Romans in chapter five, Paul promises. Paul says that there's not a single ounce of pain and suffering that you go through that God does it purpose for something greater. He says it's our suffering that leads to perseverance. Now, I'm not much of a runner. I will run if there's a ball involved, but just to say let's go running, Paul Baswell's our runner here, and maybe you're a big runner. I know Wayne does some running, and others of you that might enjoy running, I don't get you. I don't get how running's enjoyable. That's punishment for me. Uh, that's what I was always taught. I would love to be the individual that's like, you know what I'd like to do? I'd just like to go run 15 miles. That sounds terrible to me because the entire time I'm running and it's not for 15 miles, it's for about 15 seconds. I go, this, this is suffering. This is suffering. But you know what? In that time, my body is growing and it's not enjoyable growth, is it? But it's growing in some capacity. It's building maybe what we call stamina or endurance. And Paul says in Romans 5 that when you go through different periods of life and you go through different seasons of suffering, what it's doing is it's building something within you. There's not a single hardship you go through that God wastes. He uses every bit of it to grow you, to give you more strength and endurance so that when the next storm comes, you're prepared because God doesn't waste it because he's reigning on his throne. Finally, there's this promise that God will renew his creation. Paul uses a really interesting statement. He says, what we, excuse me, he says, we wait eagerly, eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. It's a really kind of weird line to think about, the redemption of our bodies, but that's the promise. If you read 1 Corinthians 15, it's this promise that there's going to come a day when we will be raised to new life and we will receive that resurrection body. And Paul gives a little description of what it's going to be like. It's going to be, uh, it's going to be sown perishable, but raised imperishable, raised in power, raised in glory. And it's this promise that things are going to be the injustices, all of the suffering, it will all be dealt with by God. And everything, as he said in verse 18, is going to be worth it. There's a day that is coming that will make every bit of hardship you've ever experienced worth it. It will remove it from your mind because it will be so beautiful and so glorious because we will be in the presence of God living in his renewed creation where there is no sin, there is no death, there is no crying. All the no mores that we read about in Revelation 21 and 22 as we see that holy city, that new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven as John describes in the book of Revelation. It's gonna be a beautiful sight and a beautiful existence. And in the meantime, 
In the meantime, he's telling us to get our eyes up. He's telling us to look upward. There's this thing that happens with us when we go through hard times that sometimes it causes us to drop our head a little bit, pulls us down, makes us look down, and we're only focused on what's right in front of us. What Paul is encouraging us to do is the next go through is up. He's not saying head down, he's saying head up. Look up and think forward about what's coming. Whether, whether there's relief coming in this life or not, get your eyes up. Because what's coming is far greater than anything you could ever set your mind to. I love that verse that John read to us right, after, right before our message this morning. He read that verse from Ephesians chapter 1 that says, I pray the eyes of your heart would be enlightened in order that you might know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Paul says, when you're going through difficult times, he's praying that our, our eyes would open up and our hearts would experience enlightenment, that they, it would be stretched and expanded to see something far greater. And what does he want us to, to understand? It's our hope, the hope that we've been called to live out. And what is our hope? It's that glorious inheritance of God's holy people. It's a reminder that God is still reigning on his throne. You're not suffering alone. And God will renew his creation. It's a promise from God. Not a hopeful, wishful thought, but a guaranteed promise. You can confidently expect it to happen. In the meantime, we groan, don't we? We groan and we cry out to God. And sometimes we even say how the Bible ends. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. There's times in our life that maybe you've been there where you're like, Jesus, I, I wish you would just come right now. I'm ready to go. Whatever is going on in your life, you're not alone. God is still reigning. And God has promised that whatever you're going through, you can't even compare to the glory and beauty of that renewed existence in his presence for all of eternity. So this morning, we don't want to just pray for you. We want to pray with you. And if there's any way that we can pray for you, our shepherds will be up front and in the back. If you want to grab a couple of people afterward, you want to call somebody this week, call some member of this church family, leadership, not in leadership, somebody that you trust, don't live with this on your own. We want to share in your suffering. But I also want to tell you that if you're not in Christ, you haven't experienced that hope yet. And he longs for you to have it. He longs for you to lay your head on your pillow tonight, living in the confident expectation that regardless of what you experience in this life, you've got a renewed existence coming. You will experience that resurrection and redemption of your body that Paul wrote about. You will live with God for eternity. And you can live every day saying the same thing as Paul. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that he re will reveal to us.
you're ready to be baptized into Christ and make Jesus your Lord and Savior, we want to encourage you and celebrate that with you today. You want us to pray with you and not just pray for you. We would love to do that this morning. If there's any need, please let us know as we stand and sing.